Uh, they'll get it fixed. They'll get it fixed out when I start talking. Um, but Psalm 92. This month of November, we've been looking at psalms that instruct us or teach us how to become thankful people. Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that um, I, I believe embodies a, a major Christian attribute, um, something about us that we should um, carry with us all the days of our life as Christians. And so today we're kind of wrapping up that, um, looking at um, Psalm 92. Um, we're going to read it. I'm going to kind of get my head back in order now that my echo is gone. Um, next month, we're going to look at um, Psalms that deal with the Messiah. So Messianic Psalms as we prepare for Christmas. And as I studied this week, looking at this psalm, um, Really, this is a psalm about music and and what does singing have to do with um, the worship service. And so I thought it was kind of silly to do all the singing first and then to teach on singing and then to go home. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about worship through music and then we're going to have a practicum. We're going to do it afterwards. Um, So let's read through Psalm 92. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your, your this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Father, we pray that as we read Psalm 92, Lord, that you would, Lord, help us to understand what it means. Lord, that you would, um, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that we would hear your voice. And Lord, that you would teach us um, about music and, and worshiping, Lord, how our lives should be. We love you, Father. We praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night with a a ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil and my eyes have looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of evil, the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And Father, we thank you for this text. We pray, Lord, um, as we begin to unpack this text, Lord, that you would speak to us. May we hear your voice. And Lord, may you help us to become uh, people who worship you uh, correctly. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So you guys have heard a lot about my experiences of church as a little kid. Um, part of the, the deal was when I went there, my number one goal was not to fall asleep. If I didn't fall asleep, um, 
I could have a donut after the service. So that was like a big, like, that was a big carrot. Uh, we also, we went to the very early service. Um, the very early service had no music. And so this was a kind of a, it was bad because it was so early in the morning. And I definitely got yelled at once by the priest for snoring in the midst of services. And that was, I think that was the last time I was allowed to lay on the floor and use the, the, the knee rester as a pillow. Um, and I got no donut that day. But the reason that we went to the early service was because there was no music and we could get out of there faster. We could go do our hour and then split. And so growing, like as I grew up and at times when I'd hear singing and worship at churches, it was like, what's the point? Like it's wasting time. Or is it like a concert? I just don't get it. And I kind of sit there and go, let's get to the lecture part. Because that way I can kind of engage my brain. Like I'm not gifted with rhythm, tone. Um, is there something else required for music? I don't even know. But I don't have any of the parts required to do music. And so I, it's just a waste of time. <clears throat> but then as an adult, when I finally became a Christian, I've been going to church for years, but I never really given my life to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. You paid for my sin and I need you in my life. And then after that point, suddenly I noticed that the worship time kind of changed. It was like, wow, this isn't just like singing songs. This is like serenading or singing a love song to, to my Lord. And everything, something kind of clicked on the inside. My, my rhythm and tone and um, singing capabilities didn't improve, but... The enjoyment of it all really improved. And I, I tend to like worship ser- services that are louder, not because I like loud music, but because it muffles my voice. And so I don't hear myself. So then I can like let her rip, you know, and I always feel bad for like Rick up here because he's definitely in my splash zone if I if I go crazy. And when it's softer music. I can hear my voice, so then I'm like less inclined to to participate, to get into it. And I found that over the years of of being in church, uh, when I'd ask somebody to to come to church or somebody who didn't know the Lord and it's like, oh, come to church, then there's like the worship time and you have people like raising their hands up or clapping or doing stuff and it's like, ah, oh, well, we'll, we'll kind of get through this. And I, sometimes, you know, you get the people that stand there and I'm not calling anybody out because I was just one of them. It's like, this is just really uncomfortable. It's like a, next to me, some person who is like, a, you know, like a young boy who's singing a love song to the girl upstairs, you know, like you see in movies. And it just feels a little awkward. Like this person's like really getting into it. And what, what am I supposed to do? And but I found that as people fall in love with the Lord, worship is like there's a moment when things kind of change. And so hopefully today, by going through this text, we'll learn something about why. Why do we sing at church? Why do we do what we do? And then we're going to practice after this after I'm done preaching. And so now this psalm, I didn't read the introduction, but you'll notice at the beginning of Psalm 92. Okay, good. All the verses are up there. um, A psalm. A song for the Sabbath day. So this is the only psalm that is connected with the Sabbath. So we know that this psalm was read every single week at the synagogue. This was their sort of their call to worship. I think there's lessons in that, knowing that we need weekly reminders 
on how to worship the Lord. We need a kind of the world is a is a rough and brutal place. And so to kind of come and charge our batteries up again to remind, be reminded of simple truths is a good thing. And so he starts out in the first three verses by saying it's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most, Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night with the ten-string lute and with the harp with resounding music upon the lyre. So we see that it's good to do four things right away. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's just simple. It's good. Say, Lord, I thank you that I have feet to walk with. I thank you that I have hands that can work with. I'm thankful that I have eyes that can see. I'm thankful for my ears that I can hear. I'm thank you. I thank you for my friends. I thank you that I have a house to sleep in. I thank you that I have a car. I thank you that there's so much snack out there to binge on. Like we can just give thanks and we've you know, this month we've done all kind of silly stuff like the thankful game, just going through the alphabet to learn how to develop and to cultivate this spirit of thankfulness and not to be the, the children that murmur to God that we can. We, it's simple. It's just your outlook. Lord, you've been so gracious. And so the Bible tells us it's good to do that. We also learned that it's good to sing praises to your name most high. And I want to point out something here. Notice at the very first part of the verse, it's kind of talking about God. It goes from it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Then from the second half, it shifts to your name. Suddenly we realize that this psalm isn't written to us. It's a psalm that's written to God. And so we're reading a letter that was written to God because it goes to your very personal and all through this. And so worship isn't a con like we're not just like the band that's up here. They're not even a band. That's like the worship team. I forget the Christianese. What's a, the appropriate word to call them? The people who play the instruments and get the microphones for singing. They're not putting on a concert for you people who are out here. They're singing to God or they're supposed to be. I can't judge the condition of any person's heart. Only God knows. But in the perfect world at church, the people who are up here are singing to the Lord, are singing praises to his name. And we are joining with them singing to the Lord. So it's a personal sort of we're singing praises. We're giving him thanks. We're saying, Lord, you're good. We love you. He goes on to say to declare two things. First, to declare your loving kindness. This is all through the Psalms we see this. Remember that one Psalm where you guys sounded like robots? For your loving kindness endures, or no, for your loving kindness is everlasting. For your loving kindness is ever, we did that 26 times. And we see this phrase all through the Psalms. Some translation reads that your love endures forever or your mercy endures forever. So we see that God's love for us, his mercy towards us, not giving us something that we deserve. Like we deserve a spanking from God. And instead of giving us a spanking, he withholds. So the scriptures remind us of God's character. And the psalmist here tells us in the morning, declare this. When you wake up, remind yourself, Lord, I want your loving kindness. Your love for me is everlasting. You love me. Your mercy endures forever. And then he says at the end of the day to declare that 
your faithfulness by night. And so we remind ourselves in the morning, Lord, you're good. You love me. You want what's best for me. Then when we go through our flat tires or something happens, good or bad, where Lord loves me, he's behind this, this didn't sneak by him. And then at the end of the day, when we lay our heads down to go to sleep, we reflect, Lord, you're so faithful. Like, I didn't know how I was going to get through that crisis. And you took care of me. We need this in morning and evening that we would bring God into our lives day by day, moment by moment. And that this psalm was read every single week. This is okay to be a broken record. We need to be reminded of these things over and over and over again. Then he goes on to say, well, how how are we to do this? And he brings in some funky instruments. He says, with a 10-string lute. We don't have a lute up here. Because there's nothing but ten strings on it. Um, but I told them, I go, Larry's got four strings and Rick has six strings. So if my math is correct, that's ten strings. I did go to public school. So, but I'm pretty sure that ten, so we have ten strings up on here. We have the ten string loop, kind of. He goes on to say, uh, with the harp, no harp here, with resounding music upon the lyre. So I don't know what the lyre is, but you get the idea that it's loud. And when we start looking at instruments, um, the Psalms end with Psalm 150, which, um, you know, in church circles, there's like wars over how is worship to be done. Piano only. No instrument. I have a friend who's a pastor and no instruments, just our voices. I wouldn't do very well there because then you'd hear my voice and I'd run everybody away. Um. No instruments. No, it needs to be electric guitar. We have preferences. But in Psalm 150, I'd ask you to turn over to Psalm 150. And the psalmist, when he writes this, this this is the, the only thing I can really... I mean, there's time for silence and solitude in scriptures. And then here, when we're talking about praise, the psalmist wants it... I think he wants it loud. And it kind of, I get a headache reading this. If you really take this literally... First, he begins with Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with a harp and a lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Read that dancing. Wait a minute. Christians aren't allowed to dance. We're supposed to, well, my opinion is we're supposed to sit here stiff as boards and sing quietly. Don't get a little out of control. When I was in Israel a couple weeks ago, it was, I went with a group and they were, a lot of them went to a messian, they were messianic Jews, a, lo, a huge part of them. And in a messianic, in, in Jewish circles, like just Judaism today, there's a lot of dancing and crazy. I mean, if you're like me, it's crazy, it's wild. But there was a day, you know, we went on this boat ride over the Sea of Galilee. And it was really cool. Like, we had this cool experience. This boat driver who, how many of, well, I don't want to say how many. But there's a, there's, a, there's a play out there. It was made into a movie. And it was called Fiddler on the Roof. And there's the dad. I think his name was Tevia. A big beard, thick voice, strong man. It's like fisherman type guy. And this guy's driving the boat. We did our little, I did my little talk and we kind of did our stuff on the Sea of Galilee and he gets up and he's like, I want to sing you a song. And like, well, he's tough. And he starts, 
And they, play, they get the, like, the tape player out and they press the tape and they start singing some very traditional Israeli songs. Now, the group I was with, a bunch of them like knew all of these songs and they knew the culture. And next thing you know, like on this boat, just for the record, I wasn't involved in it. I had my camera and just watching because I don't have any rhythm. I would be tripping everybody out. And then if you start talking about dancing and top of singing, it's just not going to work out. The next thing you see is this group is like crazy in a circle somehow. Hands were going up, feet were going It was like the hokey pokey in motion, you know, like everything's happening. There was clapping, and this is on a boat. And when this happened, the Jewish guy's face, like all of them, the huge smiles. And like, they know our culture, they know the songs. And so I just picture this, when the psalmist writes us, that there's, man, there's music happening, there's dancing, like our whole bodies are worshiping the Lord. It says, praise him with stringed instruments and, a, and pipe. Praise him with loud symbols. What kind of symbols? Wow. Say, I mean, this is like, I kind of, ugh, like, gosh. Praise him with resounding symbols. Like, this is like, I mean, my eyes starting to twitch thinking about that. I don't like it that, I mean, it's like, I'm getting a little too old, you know. There's a saying, if, you, if it's too loud, you're too old. Well, when I see the scriptures, I see if it's too loud, you're not spiritual enough. It's like, it's like, oh, I got to get into this. And it's like, loud symbols. Let everything that has breath, does anybody not have breath in this room? Nobody's exempt. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when we look at the Psalms as a whole, we're going to later, we're going to look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed or happy is the man who doesn't do certain things, that he doesn't participate with evil deeds, but that he meditates, he dwells upon the things of the Lord. And then in the third verse of Psalm 1, it says he's going to be like a tree firmly planted by waters. And so we get the person as a, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, it results in Psalm 150, that there's praise and worship, that we're thankful for God and all he's done. And we can't help, even if you're not musical like me, but to sing and to worship him. So back to Psalm 92. So in Psalm 92, verse 4, after he's talking about this, David, or I don't know that this is David, the psalmist, simply then points to God and his creation. We're going to see the word. I have the words done circled. I have the words works circled. So this picture of like that God's action in our lives or the psalmist lives causes the psalmist to react in a certain way. And verse four, we read for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. So we see, he just, I don't know what works he's looking at, whether he's looking at creation. But to me, there's no greater work or miracle in, that God has done than changing a, a life of a person. Last night, Ann and I received a book and we're kind of decided to read it as a fam- like not as a family, but as a couple. We got decision book, decision points. I'm not trying to get political or anything. By president, former President George Bush. And his book, Decision Points, the whole first chapter talks about his decision to stop drinking and and kind of how Billy Graham ultimately led him to the Lord and how he ultimately gave his life to the Lord, but his whole life radically changed by his decision to stop drinking. And I'm we're reading this book and I'm going, 
who published? Is this like Tinder? Is this like a Christian book or something? And it's not a Christian book. But then we started talking. And he's saying, man, the Lord changed my life. I was a total drunk and crazy until I was 40 years old. And then I made the decision to stop drinking. And God basically took over my life. And it was radical. And I look at Anna. I said, you know what? I made that decision at 25. I got 15 years on him. I could outdo him. And I'm like, okay, I'm not incompetent. I'm a little competitive. And so it's like, okay, the Lord has me here. The Lord, you know, I'm, this is where the Lord has me. I'm not in competition with the president of the United States. I didn't go to Yale or Harvard or, you know, I could really, I can humble myself very quickly when I start comparing myself to presidents. And I don't ever want to be one. But I started reflecting on my life. Like the fact that you guys come and listen to me teach the scripture is a huge joke. If you could see, I mean, it's not a joke. I keep coming back. I mean, it's good. I'm like, we want you to grow in the word. But if you guys saw me 15 years ago, I told the last service, if you, if, if I had the nerve to get up one Sunday and preach in a wife beater tank top and you guys saw my tattoos and all of their glory, oh, you'd be shocked. I was a mess, a total mess. I mean, a police record. And it's, it, I hate filling out applications for the sheriff. I'm a sheriff's chaplain. I have a resisting evading arrest for them, and now I'm their chaplain. It's funny. <laughs> when they say, you know, in the application, who was the arresting department? You guys were. <laughs> and now you want to be our spiritual leader? Well, God, God has really done a big work in my life over the last, like, 16 years. But when I think about where I was and my family lineage, like seriously, I should have multiple divorces by now. I should be all like my life should be a total disaster. Like I don't want you guys to say, oh, Gunnar's a, a pastor and he's perfect in his life. No, not at all. But I serve a perfect Lord. And when I think about the work that he's done in my life, it's overwhelming. It brings gladness to my heart. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I can do but fall on my knees and say, Lord, you're good. And you know what? That's each of our stories. If we would only recognize what God's done. And if you've made mistakes, it's okay. If you're still alive, it's not too late to start walking with the Lord. He goes on to say in the second half of verse five, your thoughts are very deep. He's going to begin comparing who God is and his everlastingness, his eternalness, his the things that make him God and separate him from man, contrasted with the wickedness of man. And when he he says, man, your thoughts are so deep. He looks at the the ocean. He said, your thoughts are deeper than I can fathom, pun intended for you. Navy types fathoms is how you mention the ocean floor deeper than he can measure. It was funny. I liked it. Thank you guys for the courtesy laughs. But he says, I can't even, like, when I think of the depth of your wisdom, your knowledge, I can't even take it in. In Isaiah 55, if you want to turn there, we'll be studying this chapter on Wednesday. If you want to come, come to Isaiah, jump in when it gets good at the end here. We've been slaving away all year. But in Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8, God declares to Israel, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
So God begins, this infinite God starts looking at finite man and he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The way you think is nothing like the way I think. He goes on to say, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The way you live, the way you function, the things that you do, they're nothing like my ways. God is talking smack to his creation. He's not even talking smack. He's talking the truth. He says, I am an infinite God. There is no way you can take me in. You are sinful, corrupt man. In Isaiah, it says that, what does it say? That the, 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 the best deeds of man are but filthy rags compared to God. He's saying, I'm the creator. You're the creation. We are totally separate. He goes on to say, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your, than your thoughts. And God's plea is, listen, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Give your life to me. I'm not going to lead you astray. And so the psalmist back in Psalm 92, he understands this. He says, your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. It's hilarious. And I saw this this, when I was preparing for this, just as a little side note. I think it was just two weeks ago I said, I can't use this word, but it's biblical. It says a stupid man. Like, there is a such thing as being a stupid person. A person who doesn't recognize that there's a God. A fool in his heart, according to prophecy, says that a, a fool in his heart says there's no God. And he says, when the wicked sprout up like grass, we've had a little bit of rain, and we see the weeds coming up. And people look at it, particularly my wife, I love to death. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm like, Anna, don't you see it? It's mocking me. I have to weed whack that stuff. There's ever since I moved to Valley Center, there's nothing beautiful about green fields. Give me concrete. No grass can grow, you know. And so he's saying, listen, the, the wicked, they sprout up quickly. And all who did iniquity flourished. So the wicked people are getting ahead. It's like they're flourishing. And all who did iniquity flourished. It was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. And the psalmist is saying, listen, the wicked, they look to us in our short lifetime. But our lifetime seems really long when you're living it. In the eternal scope, they sprout up. They look like they're getting ahead. But one day they're going to face the Lord. And unless they have Jesus, they're in trouble. And he contrasts the wickedness of man and how fast they sprout up. To God's eternalness. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Not two weeks, not 36 hours, not eight years, not a hundred years, not 500 years. Forever. Forever future, forever in the past. God is God. There is none like him. For behold, your enemies, O God, for behold, your enemies will perish and all who do iniquity will be scattered. But then he's going to contrast the the righteous man, the man who trusts in the Lord, the person who trusts in the Lord. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. It's okay to shake your head at that one. I I saw that. I'm like, man, you have exalted my horn. (laughs) Do I have any horns? I like that of the wild ox. Like, man, he hasn't been strengthened my horns because I don't have any. I'm like, well, I got to go to an easier translation to read. So I'll go to, like the NIV is more of a, like a, it's more of a paraphrase, good translation. And I go to the NIV. 
Somebody have the NIV that has courage to read? Anybody? Going once, twice? It says almost exactly the same thing. Anybody? Nobody? Judy? I see a finger pointing towards you. So I think the the translators for all of history saw this and they're like, we're just going to stay as close to the, the, the word for word translation. But in my study... It seems to mean that, that God has blessed him in strength. It's a picture of strength, I think. And you've anointed, I've been anointed with fresh oil, like when a king was anointed, that they'd, they'd put oil over their, their head. That God's blessing him. He goes on to say, and my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. And this foes is the idea of somebody set in a trap, getting ready to attack him. But he sees him, he's like, Aha, I see you over there. He goes on to say, my ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. So God has let him see the attacks that are coming against him. And verse 12, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. Now, the palm tree is unlike the grass that comes up. And then when the heat comes, it goes away. It's a sturdy tree. It can survive for a long time. He will grow like this cedar in Lebanon. This picture of strength and permanency. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. I love it. There is no retirement for Christians. I'll never forget when I, when I was kind of making the transition from, from being a seal to, to the ministry. I, I basically did both for a couple years. And I learned of a term I'd never heard before. One of the pastors said, hey, will you come do a visitation with me to a shut-in? What's a shut-in? I have no idea. I've never heard of that term before. It's okay if you've never heard of the term. I never heard of it. But a shut-in is a person who, due to health reasons, is they're, they're a Christian, they're a member of the church, but they're no longer able to then get out and go participate in the church. And so I went and met this lady. I can't remember her name to save my life. Um... But she, we went and met with her, and she died probably within a year of, of my meeting her. And she described to us, she was in a state-run convalescent home, and she described to us the pain that she was in, that she was in so much pain that she could only sleep for like 10 to 15 minutes at a time. So she'd spend most of the night just laying in her bed in agony. And she's like, but I just think that the Lord has given me a ministry of prayer. And I have the, the, like the roster of the church members and I just pray for them all day long and make sure you guys keep getting me the prayer request. And it was just this picture of like, she was like very old, like she was on her deathbed and she's still bearing fruit in her life. I don't care how old you are. God, if you're a believer, fruit could be born out of your life. And here we see it that, you know, they will still yield fruit in old age. Isn't that wonderful? Amen? Amen. Amen. They shall be full of sap and very green. Sap and being very green is a good thing for a tree. That there's, even though their bodies are decaying and wasting away and they're feeble, they're still rich with fruit of God's, the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And the purpose, why this matters? Well, before I move on to the purpose, go to Psalm 1, which I talked about. This picture that he's painting reminds me of the very beginning of the Psalms. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And so, and the next four verses are looking at the wicked, contrasting. But so we see that the person who dwells in the house of the Lord, going back to Psalm 92, Verse 13 kind of began planted in the house of the Lord. So as the person abides in the Lord, as we walk with the Lord, we get this foundation that whatever happens to you, you're not shaken. Oh, my car just blew whatever. I'm not a mechanic. I have no music skills. I have a long list of things I'm not good at. But when something goes bad in a car for me, it's really bad because it's like, you know, and I stand there with the the hood lifted up, look it in like, what do you think is wrong with people coming? I don't know. I was just hoping like there would be like a, like a cable unplugged and I just plug it back in. I have no idea what's... It's trouble. But it's like, you know what? Lord, your loving kindness is everlasting and you'll get me through this. And I this did not slip past the Lord. And in verse 15 of 92, after we see this strength of, of walking in the Lord, that circumstances don't weigh you off course. It says that they're like this, that they may declare that the Lord is upright. That there's no crookedness in him, that he's holy. He's perfect. He is my rock. The song is like, it's not just like your God. He's my God. And there's no unrighteousness in him. And we're reaching the conclusion here. And as we look like, well, what's the purpose of worship? What's the purpose of music? So we've looked at this psalm. We, we saw in verse 3 that ten-string lute with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. And in Psalm 150, this, this ruckus and all this noise and cymbal and, you know, whatever, loud worship. If we turn the page over to Psalm 95, the first eight verses, we start to see why. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us whisper, what does it say? Shout. Shout. I mean, shouting is loud. I was never a good shouter. People see me, they go, you were a Navy SEAL instructor. I'm like, I can turn it on when I need to. You guys wouldn't know me when I did, but I can. But this is shouting joyfully. So I just have to work on not being angry and shout. Like shouting with joy is like a, you know, one of these terms, hard to understand, but just to shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in who, whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I tell you, if you guys ever see me worship, and if you see this number, Gunner is getting crazy in worship. Like, this is really letting go. I wasn't raised in a church, so it's real kind of... 
Every now and again, if I've got long sleeves on, I'll do this because, man, what if people see my, like, tattoo? Like, ah, you know, it feels like so. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm letting you guys into my psyche. <laughs> the Lord is with you. It's okay. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I'm really going for it. Every now and again, like, I'll never forget, like, r- right after Ann and I lost our first child through miscarriage, our David Langat, he's not here right now, but, but he's like, hey man, we want to go to a Red, Matt Redman concert. And they're, they're at, they're down at Horizon. We go to Matt Redman. So we go there. The place is packed. And so then we, we just lined the aisles. And so then we're on the aisles. And then the pastor said, no, all you people in the aisles, just, just come on up onto the stage. This is very uncomfortable for me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to listen to it. I'll watch the drummer because they like, to- like drummers are an anomaly to me. Like their feet and their hands and sometimes they see, like how they do it, you know, with its craziness. So I'm on stage, I'm watching the drummer of Matt Redman and on stage on this place, it's not real loud on the stage. And they start singing a song, blessed be the name of the Lord, that the Lord kind of, he gave me the verse from Job to kind of get us through the loss of the baby. And he gave Anna the song. And so there, all of a sudden, I'm on stage, bawling, like this. And I got down, and Dave was in the audience, because he didn't go up on the stage. He's like, dude, you're going crazy up there. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was crazy. Like, I don't, what got into me? Like, I'm like, it was just like me and the Lord. And that last in verse, say, don't harden your hearts. And I tell you guys, sometimes my biggest thing is the Lord saying, like, lift your hands. And I've, I'm like, it feels like my hand wants to go up. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. Sometimes not hardening your heart is saying, Lord. See, I've heard it say, most people say, in between services, somebody came to me and said, oh, Abba Father. Like a little Jewish kid, like going, Daddy, Daddy, take me home. And that totally could be true for you. When I do this, I'm like, the cops freeze. All right, Lord, I give up. I give up. I'm yours. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. But we will also see verse six. Come, let us worship and bow down. Sometimes, you know, the nut next to you has his hands up like this. And God's like humbling you. And he wants you to go like this. It's like, Lord, I can't do this. This person's got his hands up. It's a time... You know, no digging on Catholics, but I was raised Catholic. There is a time and a place to kneel and to stand and to kneel and to stand. And former Catholics know what I'm talking about. Or Catholics, whoever, you know, that you know. I'm like, they got their hands up. That means it's time to put your hands up. But I'm not going to, but you're telling me to go down. See, the secret is, don't worry about the person next to you. You worry about him. He tells you to sit there like, sit in your seat and not do anything but worship from your heart, do that. He tells you to lift your hands or you feel like you need to do this to surrender, then do it. You need to fall on your face and just bow before him, do that. And if it's a person next to you, don't worry about them. Like that's between them and God. And where am I going from here? Let's see if I want to go ahead just yet. Okay, yeah, I do. Psalm 100. Turn page one more way. You'll notice the title of this is A Psalm for Thanksgiving. 
it had nothing to do with the holiday Thanksgiving that we just, that I have plenty to be thankful for. I got three Thanksgiving dinners this week. Sunday night at church, Tuesday night up with Grandpa Hilton, and then Thursday again back in San Diego. I got my fill of turkey and ham and pie. And there's plenty of snacks, so keep going to town, people. <laughs> you start the exercise tomorrow. So in these verses, five verses of Psalm 100, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. There's five verses. The fifth verse explains why do we do the first four verses. The fifth verse says, For the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. Doesn't the psalmist seem like a broken... His loving kindness is everlasting. His love endures forever. His mercy is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. That's why we do the first four verses. Now, the first four verses say, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. And so when we sing, it's, it's really been funny. At least Albert Jr. got a good laugh at me a couple weeks ago. See, the first service has become the clappy service. I don't get it. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know why. It's not like nobody like says, okay, we're going to clap now. The first service is not the clap, or this service is not the clappy service. I don't know why. And a few weeks ago, I was like trying to start the clapping. And it's a dangerous place to be when Gunner's trying to get the music. And I was clapping. And I'm like, somebody will join me. And I look over and I see Albert and he's laughing at me. I'm like, come on, hook a brother up. And I quit and then he starts and then we start going. So I don't know how this is going. My request to Rick this week, I said, Rick, as I study this, can we just do the worship at the end? And I don't know if this is a technical term, but can we do clappy songs? <laughs> and so last during the last year, apparently the church owns, you know, the Hispanic side probably, Albert busts out, where are they at? Tambourines. So there was like clapping and tambourining, and it was great because there was like, you just pick your own beat and you just go with it. You know, I have no idea. But maybe you're not comfortable with clapping, so don't clap. The, the thing is, we want our hearts to be right. And if somebody else is clapping, don't feel uncomfortable that they're clapping. And maybe you're in a place where this whole worship thing is new to you. And that's okay, too. So I'm really sorry if this is awkward. But we're going to sing, and I want our songs to be sung to the Lord. We're singing to God. He created us. He sustained us. If you've trusted in Christ, he saved you from your sin. And if you haven't trusted in him, he's going out of his way through his kindness to try to get you to repent, to turn to him. Because he loves you. Not to make your life miserable. He wants you to have true joy. And so when you see people clapping, people, you know, I'm not to the Israel thing yet where I'm ready to dance. But sometimes I sway and kind of lift my foot up a little bit, you know, like that's me getting crazy. Last service, I didn't lift my hands, but, you know, don't worry. Just worry about God. 
So I'm going to ask you all to stand, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to we're going to sing praises to the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that a relationship with you turns our mourning into singing. And Father, we're in all different places right now. And Lord, even as believers, Lord, we go through trials. And so, Father, we know that ultimately in eternity, Lord, we'll have joy. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. And Father, we thank you that in the midst of life's struggles, in the midst of all that we're going through, Lord, that we can be joyful looking forward to the life that's coming. Father, we thank you that you are God, creation of the universe. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us music, singing, instruments, given us people that have rhythm and tone and that can lead us in singing. And so, Father, we pray right now as we sing these songs, Father, that it would be praise to you, Lord, that our hearts would be a blessing to you. Father, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. Father, we pray that we wouldn't resist your voice. Father, we love you. We praise you and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.